All right, we uh, we are now going to touch on a, another subject, which again is not clear. When it says in uh, chapter 47, verse 29, for those who do not understand Hebrew, I'll read it in the English. And the time drew near that Israel must die. And he called his son Joseph and said unto him, but what the Zohar raises here, and of course, unfortunately, we must understand that the translation into English can never compare to the original verse itself, because there it says, Vayikra libno liyosef. He called to his son, to Yosef, where it should have said, Vayikra libno yosef. And he called to his son, Joseph. Why is there two? Why is there a stress? And the Zohar on page uh, 80 of Pasha Baichi also says, Shoel, and he asks, Lama kara Yosef Why did he call only Yosef? What about the other sons? And the reason continues the uh, verse, verses, that what did Yaakov want from Yosef? He said that promise me, and he made him swear, that you shall take me out of Egypt and you shall bury me in the place called the Merat HaMachpelah. That is where Adam and Eve are buried. Uh, Abraham and his wife, Sarah, Isaac and Rivka, and now Yaakov, together with Leah. He said, I want you to promise me. And he said, I will do as you request. And he made him swear, and he swore. Now, the Zohar says, also asks the question, I mean, does that mean he didn't trust Yosef? I mean, if we just take the story in its literal sense, what, what you know, what, what is this dialogue between Yaakov and Yosef? And why did he make him swear? So, why he called Yosef and not the other brothers? So, that could be easily explained, says the Zohar, because... He was a king, and therefore the other brothers who did not have dominion over Egypt may not have succeeded in taking Yaakov away from Egypt and bringing him to Hebron. But Rabbi Shimon sees in these few verses another very interesting aspect. And Rabbi Shimon, on this particular section comes out with an entirely different meaning. But is it really different? No. What is superficial and what appears to the eye is not the real meaning. It is coded. It is coded. And as we explained before, the reason why it must be coded. And Rabbi Shimon begins and says, Hanistarot l'ashem l'kenu v'anidlot l'anu ovanenu. That is a verse in Deuteronomy chapter 29 where it says that the secrets belong to God but the, the secrets belong to God but all that is revealed belongs to us. And the Zohar explains what does that mean? That a person a person must be very careful that he should not go against the laws and principles of this universe. 
ובאים בחשבון לפי המלך הקדוש. והכל תלוי לפניו. And therefore, every action, every activity that one performs in this world is entered into what I call a computer. It is written down for posterity the same way, the same way as we have a memory bank that no matter what took place in our life, even sometimes past lives, but at least this present life, we can recall where is the information. It's registered. So information that we experience even in this world is registered. And, says the Zohar, not only is it registered by the individual, and sometimes he forgets, but it is registered, it is registered before the Lord. And everything is revealed. And Rabbi Shimon says, if that's the case, if everyone understands that whatever his activity consists of is recorded, just like he knows, so it is known universally. So Rabbi Shimon, as he naive, asks, how come no person will take cognizant, will understand that every action, every action, whether it be a positive action or a negative action, creates an equal and opposite reaction. If it's negative activity, the result must be negative. If it's positive, it'll be positive. That whatever, whatever a person thinks, just by thinking, just by thinking, also it's registered. Is it registered by us? Sure it is. The same way as an action is registered, we can remember what we even thought that we never pursued, we never made it manifest, but we remember everything. So far, we still don't know what is the connection with all that Rabbi Shimon is reciting and reference to this, to this verse that doesn't have any meaning. Remember, he's telling Yosef to take him and he's t- making him swear. In other words, remember, you can't get out of this because I made you swear. As if Yosef would, for whatever reason, not want to follow through. And here is, and here is the punchline. Bode says Rabbi Shimon. Guess most of you, if not all of you, already know why I am reading the Zohar in Hebrew and not just merely translating it into English, because there is power in these words. I could should even read the Aramaic. But at least for those who understand Hebrew, can get immediately the translation. But I have looked at it, so I've made the connection. The night that Jacob, Yaakov, was to marry Rahel, you remember that what Lavan did? He changed. He changed, or he reneged on his promise of presenting Rahel to Yaakov, as a wife, and in her place, in her place, he presented Leah, the older sister, to Yaakov. And Yaakov, knowing what kind of a of a person Laban was, gave Rachel <laughs> certain simanim, certain codes, that at the night of the wedding, at the night of the wedding, he would know if it was Rachel or if it was Leah, because she would present back to him the coded message. And from this emerged the Minhag of Bikata Kala. We bless the Kala, but in essence, the blessing also is connected with the idea that we want to be certain. 
that this is the designated bride. That we have to assume that this was an old custom that the bride was concealed. The bride was concealed, meaning her face was uncovered. Uh, her face was covered. The reason for that, we know why. And But this is not a custom that originated a thousand years ago or two thousand years ago. But this is a Kabbalistic tradition. So if it's a Syrian tradition or an Ashkenazi tradition or a Persian tradition, a uh, 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 Minhag tradition, I mean, it, it really started long before there were any of these traditions. It started with Yaakov. Briefly stated, because the marriage, as we know, creates one unified whole with the female and the male, or Malchut with Zerampin. Until the marriage is consummated, we cover Malchut, meaning to indicate that there is, we recognize, and we concentrate on the idea that at this point there is no union, and that the union will take place under the chuppah. In any event, that's why she was concealed, and so he could not see her face. And therefore, Yaakov gave Rachel certain simanim, certain codes and clues, by which he would not be fooled, knowing that his fa- father-in-law, his intended father-in-law, could, could uh, exchange Leah for Rachel. Insofar as Yaakov is concerned, says the Zohar, it was Rachel. And then that evening, that evening, they had intercourse to consummate the marriage. All with the impression that it is Rachel and not, not Leah. And this was the first time that he had ever had intercourse. And this was his first sperm that that ha, that drew forth from Yaakov. As it says, And he thought it was Rachel. This thought consciousness Mind you, just a thought consciousness. That he thought that it was Rahel and it was not Leah. This thought, or, or any thought, is preserved. It is not that we thought about something and we forget about the thought. The thought becomes registered. Just like actions become registered in the mind of an individual, so thoughts become registered in the mind. And so here, his thoughts the thoughts of Yaakov became registered. At that moment, even though Ruven was the firstborn of Leah, in exchange, in other words, he had changed and presented Leah, the other sister, in place of Rachel, and Ruven, who was the firstborn, should have been the Bechor, should have been the firstborn. But because his thought consciousness was directed towards Rahel, even though he had intercourse, sexual intercourse with Leah, the thought consciousness prevailed. It belonged to Rachel. The fact that he thought, the fact that he thought that it was Rachel is his energy intelligence, which is in the form of a sperm, and we discussed that briefly, the power of this kind of energy, that with thought, with thought, we direct that kind of energy. Haytashallah, it was only hers. Rachel's. Yarash ota Yosef, Rachel yasha et shalah. The fact that he thought, Yaakov thought that way, 
Then who became the Bahor? Yosef. And not Ruven. Mshumze, Soda Daba, Lo Allah Ruven Bishem Kishar Hashvatim, El Ruven, Kiloma Rau Ben. Rau Ben, he saw a son. He saw a son. In other words, that's all. A son was born. Was it his firstborn? No. Rau Ben Stam. Ben and his name was not known. Why? Because of Yaakov's thought consciousness. That his action, directed by his thought consciousness, was directed for the hell. At that point, this is not even his son. It doesn't say Ra'u Bani. Because Leah also was fully aware of what happened. That his thought in Rachel went to Rachel and not to her. She also understood that. The Lamadno continues the Zohar. Did he want? Rachel and not Rachel? No. He was unaware of the of the situation. And he thought of no one, only of Rachel. And not like not like the other evil people of the world. In other words, why does it say and why does it stress Livno Liosef to know that that son that was born as the first son, who was that? That was Yosef. Livno which son? Le Yosef. In other words, even though on the physical level Ruvain was born, physically he was born, it was not considered as being Yaakov's firstborn. In other words, that's why it says Lashem Hadistarot Lashem Lokeno. In other words, these mysteries, what does it mean these mysteries? These mysteries meaning not mysteries that cannot be understood, but those aspects that deal with the metaphysical consciousness, like thought, like thought, is Lashem Elokeinu. What does it mean? It's registered. It is not forgotten. Not that it means, as some want to interpret, in fact, that you, why aren't you permitted to learn Kabbalah? Because Hanistarot Lashem Elokeinu. Don't you know all of the hidden, concealed matters in this universe belong to God? We have no right to delve into these matters. That's not what Rabbi Shimon says. It's not what Rabbi Shimon says. Because Rabbi Shimon tells us that if we do not study the Nistarot, if we do not study the hidden aspect, the hidden interpretation of the Torah, we accomplish zero. We walk out the deck empty. So obviously, if if we could not delve into the mystery, so to speak, which means the metaphysical realm, how can we ever achieve the beneficence that He wants to give us? Because God is not in the physical, in this physical universe. We do not. He is not expressed in a physical way. Neither is thought consciousness expressed in a physical way. Does that mean all thought consciousness has no validity? No, it's whatever you thought. Whatever you thought doesn't mean anything. No. Every thought, every thought has its place. And therefore it says, Lashem Elokeinu. What is the proof of this? Because when it says, Yosef, the secret of thought consciousness became revealed by Yosef.
that even though it was only a thought consciousness, look at what it produced. Yosef, who was born chronologically later, after Ruvain, after Ruvain, is still to be considered the Bechor. Therefore, <laughs> it, it would have been it does, there is no mention of it it's a nice question there's no mention of it but from the Zohar and you would think that this was only the Zohar but if we turn you know and someone might say well that's one interpretation right but you can't consider uh, Yosef the Bechor I mean he was born later and the Ruvain was the was the firstborn. He was the Bechor. So how could the, you know how could you interpret the Torah in such a manner? But Rabbi Shimon uh, was one to be reckoned with, and he thought of all the questions that a lot of rabbis might raise today. He thought of them all, and so no, well, no, <laughs> okay. And it says in Pashat. In Pashat um, Zota Bracha, chapter chapter thirty three, verse thirteen, verse seventeen. I'm sorry. When Moses is discussing the blessings for all of the tribes, it says very clearly about Yosef in chapter 33, verse 17, that Yosef is Bchor Shoro. The Torah calls him Bchor. So this was not some concoction of Rabbi Shimon. Maybe nobody agrees with Rabbi Shimon, right? And therefore, we don't have to accept what Rabbi Shimon is stating for us here. No. Rabbi Shimon never contradicts what the Torah says. What he does is maybe delve a little deeper into its real meaning because there is no answer as to why it says Livno Yosef. Alright? No, there could be a firstborn from the father too. In other words, if if a uh, the 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 law of Bechor is that if it's it, let's say uh, uh, this was the second child, he married a uh, he married uh, a woman that had children, and he was never married before, and there would be a child, there would be a Bechor. It would be his Bechor. Belongs to the father. Basically. Yes. No, but if this if he had many children with another wife. And then he married another woman who never had any children. And, sh- and this child was born normally, in other words, not through a cesarean section. This child would also be considered a Bechol. So he has two Bechol. Yes. No. No. Well, first of all, we are considering the Bechol of Yaakov. The, the revelation here, the startling revelation here is that these two were married together. They were the first to be married. For him and her. And yet, and yet, for him and for her, for Leah and for Yaakov, Ruvain is not considered the Bechor. And that is attested by the Torah itself in Deuteronomy, as I just quoted. For Leah too. Why Why wouldn't it be? It's still her firstborn, right? Because, well, this, this now touches on something else. Because when we speak of Yaakov, his overwhelming thought of what constitutes Bechor also pervaded over whatever consciousness Leah would have as well. And so the Torah considers only Yosef the Bechor 
and not Leah. And not Leah, even though it was the firstborn of Leah. The power of thought consciousness. Well, the, the marriage was consummated as one unit, right? So but because his thought consciousness, we're only repeating it, his thought consciousness was so powerful, even though on a physical level, it was not so. Okay? No, no, it's, it, but it doesn't say Bechol. Yeah, no. We'll, we'll come to that right away. We'll come to that right away. All right, now, another section. In, in connection with what has already been discussed, in the Zohar, Pashat Vayichi, page Kuf, 100. And it says the following in the Zohar, V'atidim b'nei olam sh'yitzaku, v'lo yiyeh mi sh'yashgiyach alehem. In the future, says the Zohar, the world, after the destruction of the temple, the world will always be in crisis, always be in crisis, they will plead, they will yell, but there will be no one that will be listening to him. And people all over the world will raise their heads looking for salvation, looking for ways and means on how they can be saved. And they will not find, they will not find any form of refuah, of cure for the problems and maladies that will exist at that time. I have found one refuah. <coughs> one. Only one. <coughs> there aren't more. No, he says, he could have said, I found one. That's great. One for all the yields. That's a great revelation. Why does the Zohar have to add the loyoter? Don't think there are any others. Only one. One therefore. The makamahu shim tsu oskim betorah, the nimsa benehem sefetorah, she'ain bo pasu. Incredible. I mean, what did he foresee that Bishimon was a prophet? It's true. He was a he was an incarnation of Moshe Rabbeinu, according to the Ari, but that's that's how far into the future he could see, and the answer was yes. If he was the incarnation, according to the Ari, for, for the revelation, and that was his only purpose, he did not come back for Tikkun. Rabbi Shimon did not come back for Tikkun, because he was a Nitzutz, he was a spark of Moshe Rabbeinu, according to the Ari, and no one really disagrees, then he could, by that pervasive power of Moshe Rabbeinu, he, I don't want to say inherited, but that was instilled, that was an integral part of his, of his makeup, that he could see the future as Moshe Rabbeinu achieved the level of consciousness that yesterday and tomorrow were all merged into the present. And he says that in the future, there will come a time that there will be no Sefer Torah because that will be the only Rufuah. The only Rufuah. Kishiyotzi Ota and when you find this kosher Sefer Torah Yitoruru Ha'elyonim V'Tachtonim then all worlds the upper worlds with the lower worlds will all be aroused. And this is goes far beyond that just having a kosher sefer Torah. I look at the conditions he's placing on us. It's not enough that it's a sefer Torah that is kasher, but that the Shema Kadosh, the most powerful demonstration in the Torah of the combination of letters, as you know, is a tetragrammaton. Tetragrammaton. 
the Yud K Vav K. Does that invalid, invalidate the Sefer Torah if it's not written, written with the Shema Kadosh as the Tetragrammaton should be written? I must, I must admit that until I became involved, which is only seven or eight years ago, into what is the letters of a Sefer Torah, of a mezuzah, of film, I had no idea. No idea that there were differences in letters, that there were certain ways, according to the Kabbalah, that letters should be written. And, not that it becomes invalid, but let's say the Tetragrammaton. A revelation that came to me. I had no idea. Going straight from the beginning to the end of of all teachings, I never knew, I never studied that in the Tetragrammaton there is Yud K Vav K. Yud K Vav K. That there is a difference on how the two Hays ought to be written. The right side of the first hay is written like a dalit. The right side of the last hay is written like a resh. That is what Rabbi Shimon is saying. The Kolshikain, then you have the refuah. Now, there is such ignorance. There is such ignorance that and I'm t- saying, I'm speaking for myself, that had I not become involved suddenly with with mezuzot and tefillin and sifrei torot, I wouldn't know this. I wouldn't know that there's a difference of writing a sefer Torah according to Rabbi Shimon. And not every sefer Torah is written that way. Is written with the tetragrammaton, which is the Shema Kadosh, if you have this kind of Sefer Torah, he says, then you have the Refuah. And then he continues, all the door, Shinegal Beinayim Sefer Torah, Shertiltul Ota, Lirchova Shel Ir, Ukadomi Kedel Hitpalev, Vanonitarulel, Lamala Lamata. Woe unto those people who have that Sefer Torah, but it does not arouse the metaphysical cosmic consciousness that we have been discussing and the physical, superficial, illusionary reality realm. The reason I call this realm illusionary is we have no control of it. It's elusive. You know what illusionary means? You see it now and it disappears. We think we see things and they don't appear, disappear. That's illusionary. It's not steady. It is not constant. It is not eternal. That's called the illusionary realm. That's our realm. Only, says Rabbi Shimon, through this kind of Sefer Torah. All right. Therefore, we, we should appreciate and we should be conscious of the idea that wherever we pray, wherever we pray, that we have a Sefer Torah that can be ma'orea, can arouse, meaning connect and make a unification between the upper realm and the lower realm. Because it is only in Machshava, the power of Machshava, the power of thought, that even, says the Zohar, can change a firstborn that was not actually born as a firstborn to become the firstborn. All because of the thought intelligence of Yaakov. Alright. And continues the Zohar. This is on page Kuf Gimel. I'm skipping a couple of parts. Am Rabbi Yehuda Kamehim Bnei Olam Atumim Mikol Achushim
he believes, Rabbi Shimon, that the five senses do not provide any assistance or support in our understanding that which is around us. Why do we have the five senses? Are they here just to confuse us? The eye, the ears, we know they don't always hear correctly. We know they don't always see correctly. Says the Zohar, never, never can these five senses be put to use for clarity, for understanding things. The Lord, whose intrinsic characteristic is what? To share. He wants to share. Does he want to destroy the world? Why did he create it in the first place? He doesn't want to destroy the world. He wants to benefit the world. That's the reason he created the world. But the Zohar says... It falls on deaf ears, is the expression. It falls on deaf ears. It falls on blind people. Through the Sefer Torah, says the Zohar, one achieves this level of understanding and this level of consciousness not by virtue. Not by virtue of understanding because the eye sees or the ear hears. But these are instruments by which, if they're channeled properly, the eye, the ear, hearing the Kriyata Torah on Shabbat, without hearing the words, I would not, I would not be in a position to connect with that which is being read. I wouldn't hear it. And I must hear it. I must hear it in order to make that connection. So the ears have a purpose. The eyes have a purpose, but he's telling us only that they are only there as channeling. They are not in any way to be considered as the support mechanisms that we make use of in achieving a a greater understanding of any given situation. Never. Never. Because they are closed. They are closed for understanding. They are closed for an awareness of anything that goes on behind it, around us, or behind us. That is included in this week's portion as well. That is included in this week's portion as well. That is why, by he, stands out as one of those parshiot of outstanding importance to assist us. Now we come to another little incident that happened. It says that in uh, chapter 48, they told Yosef that his father was ill. And he took his two sons, Menashe and Ephraim, And someone also tells Yaakov in chapter 48 that your son Yaakov is coming. And he tells him that your two sons, your two sons that were born in Egypt until I came to Egypt, they will now be considered as my two sons. They will be considered as my two sons. They will replace you and also the tribe of Levi. When it comes to the division of the land of Israel, when they will enter the land of Israel with Joshua and capture the land of Israel, create a dominion that would now be called the land of Israel, it will be divided between Menashe and Ephraim, your two sons, your two sons, my two grandchildren, and they will be just as 
Ruvain and Shimon. The simple explanation as to why, why did Joseph receive two portions, actually. In other words, his descendants, Menashe and Ephraim, were each going to participate in the division of the land. That means Joseph, in effect, was receiving two portions. From what has been said up until now, we understand why. Because he is the Bechor. And as the Bechor, he is entitled to two portions. So that is simple enough for us. That is simple enough. No problem. Only because the Zohar informs us that Yosef is the Bechor. If he was not the Bechor, why did Yaakov choose choose? Menashe and Ephraim as their two sons to replace Yosef. That's understood. Then it comes to where he wants to bless him, right? And we're told that the eyes of, in, uh, in verse 10 of chapter 48, it says, and his eyes became heavy from old age. He couldn't see as well. And Yosef said, here are my children. And he says, bring them close to me and I will bless them. How does he bless them? And Yosef, taking these two children, puts Ephraim on his right, meaning the left side of Yaakov, because he's the younger boy, the younger child, and places Menashe on the right side. Israel, or Yaakov, which already is stated in verse 10, could not see, right? Could not see. And it doesn't say that Yosef told him that here is Ephraim on your left side, and here is Menashe on your right side. It doesn't say anything of the sort. And it says that Yisrael, whose name is also Yaakov, extended his right hand, you know, was crossed over and put his right hand on the youngest son and crossed over his left hand and put his left hand on Menashe. This is the story. And he blessed them. But it doesn't say he blessed them. What does it say? And the Zohar asks the question. It says, Vayvarech et Yosef. And he blessed Joseph. Now here, the story is leading up to where he wants to bless the two children with his two hands. Before he gives the blessing, which is Hamalach HaGoel, which is the famous blessing that fathers usually bless their children, small children, and even until the age of 20, bless them every Friday night with this blessing of Yesimcha Elokim Kefraim Uchem like it says in verse 20 and then also we repeat Hamalach HaGoel which is the blessing that Yaakov extended to these two grandchildren before that before that it says Vavarechet Yosef he blessed Yosef it doesn't even say with what or how he blessed him it just says, he blessed Yosef. He just blessed him. And then it says, in verse 16, and the angel that redeemed me from all evil should bless these children and they should be called in my name, the name of my father, Avram and Yitzchak, and they shall multiply, multiply, And they say some mean as a fish, Bikerabahadits. And he blessed them. But it does not say that he blessed he blessed Yosef. No mention of it. Again, a concealed portion here raises the Zohar the question. And then it says when Yosef saw what his father was doing, 
It says, Vayera be'enav. From the word ra. When Yosef saw his father switching the hands, it became, I don't want to use the word evil, but it displeased him. How come his father is doing something like this? Now we're talking about Yaakov. We're talking about Yosef. And he made an attempt to lift the hands of Yaakov into their proper position that he thought was proper. And in fact, in verse 18, it says, And Yosef said to his father, This is the b'chor. Yosef is saying it, right? Yosef is saying it. I mean, why is he the b'chor? Remember, he knows why he's getting two portions, isn't he? Why should Yaakov think of giving and singling out again Yosef as a as a uh, as a uh, particular or more rewarding child than all the rest? And he failed once before, so the so we think when he made him this beautiful garment and the. And all the other children became jealous, says the Torah, the written, as it is written. Can't take it literally. I mean, we're talking about Yaakov. You mean he didn't understand that if he, if he should um, uh, sew a beautiful garment for one son, didn't he think maybe the other children might be jealous? Might be jealous. In fact, they were, it says. In the Torah, it says they were jealous of this garment. Now, why did... Yaakov, again, choose to do the same thing. Taking the two grandchildren, because all the other children had also children. Why didn't he take any of the other two? And why is he stressing the fact that they were born before I came to Egypt? Remember he said, only those two. All the others that will be born of Joseph will not be included. Will not be included in the division of two portions. Only these two. And then now Yaakov, now Yosef, who knew he is a Bechor, and knew why the father, knew why the father is choosing his two sons to receive a double portion, says, don't you know this is the Bechor? Why are you blessing with your right hand the other, the younger one? It shouldn't be that way. And it says his father, in verse 19, did not want to uh, listen to Joseph, and he refused. Vayomen, he said, I know it, my son, I know it. I know. How does he know? He's blind. He's telling us he's blind. How does he know? How did he even know to flip the hands, to switch the hands? How did he know? Not only how did he know, but even Joseph was under the impression, obviously, that he didn't know. Because he tried to take the hand, remove the hands from the, from the children. And he answers him, I know. But, and this seems to be the key, Wulam achiva katon yigdal mimenu, vizaro yiyeh melo hagoyim. I see into the future. I see into the future. In other words, the Zohar says the eyes don't see anyway. The Torah wants to tell us that he was blind. Like we're all blind. Like we all don't see. So how did he know who was the Bechor and who was not? Because he had achieved another level of consciousness. The eyes are not what makes a person see. It's his connection. Like I connected with you, Yosef. You remember Yosef? On a physical level, you were not supposed to be the Bechor. But you know, I, I know that Rabbi Shimon will be explaining this portion in the future. And he's going to tell us that you are the Bechor. On what level? Thought consciousness. In other words, by achieving that level of consciousness, you became Bechor. The same way over here, says the Zohar, 
that these two children, these two children, he knew that from Menashe would come Yerav and Benevat, who brought idol worshipping back into the temple. And because of that, he knew where this line of the family is, is going. And he did not want to inject the line of Menashe with this kind of core energy of the blessing of the right hand, which would be a demonstration of core energy. Because he knew that the blessing, what do you mean a blessing? He, Yaakov, and we'll understand soon another part of the, of the Zohar, he knew that when he was blessing, that this blessing, thought intelligence, nothing more, what is a blessing? I bless somebody. What does it mean? What does it mean you bless somebody? A blessing means a transfer, a transfer of energy. The same way is when the Kohanim do their blessing. What, is, what does it mean they bless us? Because the Kohanim act as a channel for, for this energy, the energy of what we call the force, Hashem, he is the proper vessel by which he transfers and acts as a channel for that energy that doesn't stop like a battery or electricity stops at the point of, of termination. No, it's metaphysical energy. And this blessing will continue on and on and on. The same way as a Kohen when he blesses us. It is not a blessing for today. It is a blessing that we capture with the right Kohen if, he's, if he knows what he's doing. We capture a percentage or a certain amount of energy. That energy is what's being transferred. And that's not something that, like a battery, ends. You know, a certain amount of energy. The battery burns out, the bulb burns out, and then it's all over with. No, it'll continue on and on. And because Yaakov, from his prior experience, knowing what thought consciousness is all about, what thought consciousness was all about, knew that this would travel the same way as his thought consciousness traveled until the time that Yosef was born at a later date. This is the power of energy. This is the power of brachot, the power of brachot that are taking place in this pasha. Blessings. Blessings of Yaakov. You want to know why why there are 85 verses? The manifestation of power. We mean blessing. I bless somebody. You just bless someone and say, I bless you without a meditation that I want to transfer energy that possibly is coming through me if I'm a Kohen or whatever reason someone can give a bracha or a father to a child. That he want, feels that he can act as a as a channel to his children. That's called blessing. But just the fact that we say a couple of nice words and not understand that the blessing Hamalacha Goel or the Kohen's blessing of Yevarecha Hashem Yishmarecha that these are not just beautiful expressions. Oh, we're getting a bracha. What, what bracha? What does bracha mean? It means a transfer of the force of energy that is called or the Chachmah. That is what's being transferred. Therefore, we can understand another another Zohar, which doesn't really make too much sense, but only with with his interpretation Amrab Yosef. B'diuk et Yosef. What does it say? Remember, we asked the question. We asked the question. Favarech et Yosef. He blessed Yosef. Doesn't say how he blessed them. When it came to the children, it said he blessed them. How did he bless them? With the Malach HaGoel. With that blessing. The Zohar says it does not say anything about the blessing that Yaakov gave Yosef, like all the other tribes, received their 
individual blessings that we'll shortly come to. Et romez alamalchut, v'katuv et Yosef shuhu birkat banav, ki banav menashe v'afraim heim b'chinat malchut, anikrat et, ukeshem mitbarchim banav, hu mitbarech t'chila. Ki banav shel adam birkato hu. In other words, the blessing that, Yosef, that Yaakov extended for the children also includes the blessing for Yosef. Because the Zohar says in this portion too, why did he really stress the blessing on the children? So the Zohar says, a little peculiar, that a grandfather loves his grandchildren more than he loves his children. Why? Zohar, Rabbi Shimon says, that kind of an idea. And we know, on, on a very physical level, we know that grandfathers pay more attention to grandchildren than their, when their children were young, maybe they paid more attention. But once there are grandchildren, they seem to pay more attention. <coughs> Is the Zohar referring to this kind of idea that exists amongst simple people? That they like the grandchildren to play? What happens when the grandchild is uh, 42? You think he plays with him the same way? I mean, Shimon didn't know that the reason grandparents grand, uh, love grandchildren is because usually they are older and these are very young and their children are already grown people. And so what do you do? You're going to play, you know, squeeze the, uh, the cheek? I mean, what, what do you do with your, with your children? You can't deal with them the same way. Is that what the Zohar is talking about? Says the Zohar, no. When you bless, when you bless as Yaakov did, bless the children, there was a transfer of energy. He was, in essence, using Yosef. When it says, by Vorech et Yosef, it doesn't say what he blessed him. But he was blessing Yosef, and through Yosef, this blessing was not only being transferred, because it says, by Vorech et Yosef, already included the children. In other words, Sometimes people come to a tzaddik, right? They say, give me a blessing. Well, what's wrong? My business is going so bad. Give me a blessing. Fast, Rabbi. Or he's sick. Give me a blessing. Fast, Rabbi. I'm sick. What will the Rabbi say? If he was a Kabbalist, at least. He says, in other words, the only thing that will ever be wrong is that your business is going bad. The only thing that will ever be wrong is your health is going bad. In other words, you want me to limit the extent of my channeling energy to you. People don't know what it means to receive a blessing. A blessing refers to the, the energy force of Hashem, of the Lord, and that energy should be all pervasive, not only in fact to the grandchildren, but it should travel wherever it is meant to travel. And he was so careful that he knew that this energy traveled so far and wide that Yaakov, seeing, and although he was blind, remember, we're taught that the fact that he was blind has nothing to do with the fact of him achieving a higher level of consciousness. Because as always said, everyone is blind. Whoever uses their eyes alone are blind. And we see from Yaakov, he was physically blind, but he was not blind. He was not blind. How did he know to switch the hands if he couldn't see them? How do you know people? Because you see them? Or you get a vibration about people? You know exactly what these people... That's, what, that's when you know people. But because he dresses with a nice suit? Or he drives a, a Jaguar? I mean, that, that makes him into a nice person. And if he wire-eyes an old jalopy... He's not such a nice person. Is that the way? That's all the eye can do for us. Beyond that? <coughs> this is why this Pasha is so important. And then it comes to all the individual blessings. We're concluding shortly. I want to get this important point across. These, these blessings, these blessings that each tribe receives, that each tribe we see, what do you mean a blessing? He gave each one a blessing. Again, 
from the way the Zohar interprets these blessings, this was the connection to every sign of the Zodiac. That when we receive the blessing, it means that this month, this month, when we hear this Pasha, we are receiving the connection to the positive aspect of the cosmos. Because in Venus, there is a positive and negative energy intelligence. Both of them influence us. Now, like in the Anabakoach, or in these blessings, a blessing means where it covers, it covers the individual and does not permit any vulnerability, doesn't permit a space by which the negative energy that also is bombarding us day in and day out. Day in and day out, says the Zohar. When you're born under a certain star, when you're born under a certain mazal, says the Zohar, this is what you are. This is what you are. Now, you can take advantage of the positive energy that comes out of this month or the negative energy. You have free will. The blessings that he gave Yaakov was how we could overcome all of the negative, all of the negative energy intelligences. All of the negative energy intelligence of any particular month. Because if you do not, if you do not create what I call a security shield and you are vulnerable, they come all the time, day and night. The cosmos do not sleep. They are bombarding us. Try to fall asleep at night. Nobody's around. Some people Thousands of thoughts coming. Where do the thoughts come from? Where do they come from? And not only that, we're trying to quiet the mind. We're making a conscious effort to quiet the mind. Never. We are powerless to control the mind. We are powerless. The only thing we can do with the mind is use the proper channels to draw down the bracha of let's say this Kodesh, which we are now entering into Aquarius, to draw the positive energy of Aquarius. If you are surrounded with the positive energy, you have created the security shield, that this bombardment that comes to you day in and day out, 24 hours a day, will not affect you. This is what the Zohar says. This is the power of thought. If you do not have a power of thought, or you do not inject the power of thought, you have accomplished zero. You are blind. If you consider the mind as being the primary source of everything you do, and all of your hatzlacha, all of your success, all of your failure, depends upon, I made the wrong move, says the Zohar, you're now vulnerable to all of the negative energy intelligence. Because if you think that it all originated in the mind, which is a primary source, then you have permitted vulnerability to come in because the mind itself, by and within itself, is atum. It is closed. Your mind does not create anything. It is closed. It closes off everything. And all you have then is a vulnerability to draw in negative energy. That is the purpose of the brachot. And we'll conclude with it concluded anyway. All right. All right. I just I just wanted to touch the, uh, this question, which was not necessary. All right. What was the question again? This question. Yes. Yeah. That in the that Yaakov gave his uh, children, he starts with okay. Right. All right. Now, the reason I didn't want to bring up that because the Zohar asks. Zohar asks, what does it mean? But look what it also says. See, we just can't take out a few words of the of the bracha of Ruvain. Pachas kamaim al ki alita mishkevei avicha aschilalta yitzuai Allah. Right? The Zohar says, I didn't have time. I have it marked down here, but uh, so that you don't walk out without understanding another important part of the Zohar, which states that when it says Ruvain b'choriata, 
that in the age of Aquarius, in the in the time just preceding the uh, the Beatamashiach, uh, Ruvain is going to come and claim his share, and he will he will create a civil war in Israel, demanding that his share be what is rightfully his, meaning not only Bechor, but as the Bechor, he was entitled to Kuhuna, because Bechor and Kuhuna are synonymous. It's only because of the of the um, golden calf that the Bechor was removed from acting as the as the priest. And he will come because he will say, but I was the Bechor. And because of that, because of that, he will even, he will even come and hold war. And that's why it says, Pachaz Kamayim Altota. What does it mean? Unstable as water. What does it mean, unstable as water? 